Well, let's start out in prayer this morning, and um, we can begin. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be together. Thank you, God, for the privilege it is to be in a in a room together, and Lord, that we have your presence with us. Thank you for each person here, Lord, that you love so much. And I just pray, God, that as we go to your word together, that you would guide my thoughts and my words, Lord, that you would help us to grow closer to you and to each other. Um, and Lord, we just give, in, give you thanks and praise for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm Pastor Carrie. If we haven't met each other, I always want to like say hey in case there's somebody new here. I'm the interim pastor here, and I just feel so blessed to continue to be with New City and journey with you all. Last week I was gone. Actually, my, my one of my best friends here. We've been friends since we were 14. Trang is here. She's my, my friend that we do lots of adventures together, and we went to Utah to run a half marathon. I'm losing a toenail. If you want to come look at it later, you can. Runners like to do that. It's, I, I could tell the whole race. We were, it, was a, it was a trail run, and we didn't know it was going to be a trail run when we signed up for it. And trail runs are really different than road races. <laughs> Those are the ones that usually lose, lose a toenail or two. Um, but I have to tell you, Utah was really beautiful. I mean, it was just so beautiful, and um, I felt really thankful to go out there and see my family, my brother and mom and um, her family live out there, my brother and his kids, and then Trang and I got to have some adventures. I'm scared of heights, and my brother brought us to some places that um, when I was driving, I had to keep wiping my hands on my pants because I was so scared. So we had, we had plenty of adventure, and I'm glad to be back in boring, flat Minnesota. There we go. So we are doing a series right now, if you're joining us and jumping in, on the affirmations, meaning the values and the things that the Covenant Church says yes to. We are a non-doctrinal church, which is unusual for some people coming in. They're like, I'm used to doctrines and creeds, and this is, this is what we are about. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. In the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is the denomination that we find ourselves in here and we are a part of, we have six affirmations. And so... I'm going to coach Dylan along here. All right, Dylan, you are brilliant. Wow. So these are the six most important things in the ECC, Evangelical Covenant Church, that we say yes to. First of all, we say yes to the centrality of the Word of God. And we we spoke on this a couple weeks ago, but that means that everything we do and who we are comes from God's Word. Nowhere else. Um, last week, we, we kind of jumped around because I gave Rod the option. Rod wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit, the conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, meaning that we are actively aware and partnering with the Holy Spirit and being dependent on the Holy Spirit so that we can live with the Lord and with each other. Today, we are talking about the necessity of new birth. And then the next couple weeks, we'll be talking about the commitment to the whole mission of the church. The church is a fellowship of believers and the reality of freedom in Christ. And I feel so thankful to talk to you this morning about the necessity of new birth. So I have this slide here, and I, I keep, I like, I'm a, I'm a wordy, like you know, people are foodies, I'm a wordy, I like to understand what words mean. Um, and I kept like thinking about this week, what does necessity imply? Like, you know, you go camping, you have some necessities. Um, Baloo the bear in the Jungle Book, he talked about the bear necessities of life. But necessity implies that it is like absolutely essential. 
that's kind of what I go back to of like, if I'm going to go run a race, I have to have shoes. Although there is a man who he's, he's backwards man and he runs without shoes. And I don't know how that dude does it, but he does. Um, you think about like food, we have to eat to live. That's a necessity for us. We have a necessity of water. We can only live for about three days without water. That's an, a vital thing. Um, oxygen, we're doing it now. <laughs> It's happening in real time, but we can't be here or exist without oxygen. So there are necessities in our physical life here. Spiritually, the necessity of new birth means that something essential has to happen for us to become a follower of Jesus Christ, for us to belong to Christ. And that is one of the most important values um, next to the word of God that we say is important in the covenant church. So the next slide, <clears throat> I put, we all love birth stories. Like I said, I have a friend who's about to have a baby, and she's a first-time mom, and I'm like, I'm not going to tell her too much. She's going to find out for her own self. But we love to talk about birth stories, and I wondered this. Have you ever heard about your birth story from your parents? Like, I see some of you shaking your head no. Maybe, like, anybody shake their head yes if their parents told you, like, the day you're born, how you came into this world. I was a very difficult child, apparently. Um, I think I've turned out quite well, but my mom, <clears throat> first of all, I was overdue. I was number one baby. I was overdue by like a good week and a half, and I was born breech. Let's just sink, let that sink in. So I came out feet first, which my mom said is very ironic because she said, you came out feet first and you never stopped running and moving since. But apparently, I, my labor and delivery was quite terrible, which my mom loves to tell me any chance she gets because how much pain I put her through. It was 48 hours, la, 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 la. I'm lucky to be alive, you know, all these things. But I want you to think about the fact of, do you know your spiritual birth story? Do you know, as, do you have a spiritual birth story of a time where everything changed for you and you came from believing one way and thinking one way to another, and that is a birth story in itself. So that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning and thinking about and wondering about in scripture. And so we come to our passage in scripture. Um, if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter three, and it will be on the screen as well. But we're coming to the most important part of scripture. Martin Luther called John 3.16, the mini gospel. It's, it's literally the gospel in two sentences. And it's so powerful because it encapsulates the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a Christian. And so we're going to read the full story um, in John chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, read along with me. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. All these miracles had been happening, and people were, were paying attention. You know, Jesus had turned water into wine, and Jesus had been raising the dead. He had been healing sick people. He had been doing these things that, that nobody was able to do, casting out demons from people, um, healing people from all kinds of things, ma making miraculous food happen, and people were talking. So he said, we realize you couldn't do this if God weren't with you. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, and there's an emphasis if you catch in this narrative, 
very truly, in, in, um, in, an, in other translations it'll say truly, truly, or verily, verily, which means pay attention, pay attention, real, real, real. So he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus asks a great question, how can someone be born when they are old? Good question. He says, surely you cannot enter a second time into, into your mother's womb to be born. And we all know that can't happen. And it shouldn't happen. Like, there's so many wrong things with that, right? And Jesus says, very truly, he says it again, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. I'm going to pause there. The water is, is a, is, um, a reference to baptism, and baptism was happening in, in the Jewish culture and Hebrew um, society. People were coming for baptism, and it was a form of ritual cleansing, saying, I, I want to show an outward way that, you know, my sin is, is overwhelming me, and I, I need to be clean of it. It was a way of entrance into the, into the Jewish faith. Um, one of my friends, um, her sister-in-law was converted into, um, into Judaism, and she had to go through baptism, but she also had to appear naked before another person, one person to see her fully naked to, to represent that, that newness and cleansing and, and entering in. I was like, whoa, I'm so glad we don't have to do that here because no, none of us want to see each other naked. But there was a, a cleansing and a, um, an outward showing. But then Jesus says it's not just the outward showing of the water, it's the spirit. And, he, and, and the capital spirit is for Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, just like we know a baby is born from, from a mom and a dad coming together and that, that body being produced from two people. But he says, but the spirit also gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. As I read in commentaries this week, something that caught my eye, and I, didn't, I don't really remember this, to be honest, from the last time I preached on this, was that there was a lot of references in Old Testament language about being reborn, being born again, and not reincarnation, but being born again, a newness of spirit. So he tells him this. He, he says, you shouldn't be surprised because you know about this. You must be born again. And then in verse 8, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot hear where it's going or where it's coming from. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? And then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus kind of gives him the business. He says, you're Israel's teacher, like you're a big deal in Israel. And you don't understand these things? And again, very truly, 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 I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. Do you notice that he's using our meaning God the Father and me and the Holy Spirit, a reference to the Trinity. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the man, except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, this is an important reference to the Old Testament. Um, when the people of Israel were in wandering around the desert, there was this incident that happened where they had sinned, they had, they had messed up, they had rebelled against God, and they had this outbreak of snakes against them. Friends, I am terrified of snakes. Like, you will see me act in a ridiculous way if you see, if I see a snake, like, 
peace out, I am out of here. Um, they had this incident where the people were getting bit by snakes and people were dying. And so God led Moses to make this bronze snake. And it's just this, it's this really unusual story because the people were supposed to look up to the snake. They were supposed to look up to it and be healed. And that was a way that God brought healing to the community. Then it sounds very strange to us right now. Like I just think about like medically and like, I don't get it, but that was how God did it. And so this reference Jesus uses talks about the snake being lifted up, but it's also a reference to what Jesus is going to be doing. He is going to be lifted up and put on a cross, and all, to look, all who will look to him will be saved. And so as, as he's saying this to Nicodemus, he's connecting the dots from the past to the present. And then he sums it up with this. He says, For God so loved the world, not just the Jewish people, not just the Greek people, not just everybody, everybody. He says the whole world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I think this follow-up is just as important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. So many people in our society right now think that like as, as Christians or people who follow Christ, that we're all about judging and condemning. And Jesus says, nope, that's not what I'm about. I'm about saving. I'm about turning people from death to life. In verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So really, it, it, it says that it's on us, that God gives us the opportunity. He, he makes it all happen for us but it's for us to respond. So really, it's, it's our choice whether we, we turn to God or away from him. And in verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so as we, as we unpack that passage, first of all, who was Nicodemus? And I, I, have a, I have a slide here. It says, Jesus had a late night talk with Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus was an influential teacher and Pharisee. And I think it's really interesting that all the religious people, they knew what Jesus was doing clearly because he says, you know, we know you've come from God. We know what you're doing. But he doesn't talk to Jesus during the day. He comes to him at night. And, and there's some speculation on why. Why, number one, was he was being respectful to Jesus because there were so, the crowds were pressing in on him and he wanted to honor Jesus. Another one says that he didn't want anybody to know that he was coming to talk to Jesus, which I think is actually choice number two. So he comes to Jesus late at night. Nicodemus was an important ruler. Nicodemus is important throughout this story in a lot of ways because he ended up becoming a follower of Christ. And actually, at the end of Jesus' life, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who took Jesus' body off the cross, paid for his burial, and then, and then helped the Christian community figure out how to, how to live into this new life. He comes to Jesus at night, and it's really interesting because Jesus responds to Nicodemus almost with confronting him, saying, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand this. And he, he reflects it back to him a way of saying, you know how the spirit gives birth to spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, but you still don't understand this. And it's interesting because it says, what did he want to know and what did he want from Jesus? 
I think he was checking out, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that has been promised to us? And also, how do I have eternal life? And that's that big question of, that he, he asks him, he says, um, he starts talking about um, the signs, everyone knows you're doing good, and Jesus tells him no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So Jesus goes right to the fact of, this is how you get into the kingdom of God, by, by new birth and new life. Nicodemus questions him. Nicodemus keeps saying, how can this be? And Jesus gives the brilliant example of outside in the trees. Um, you know, where I have moved to in Owatonna, I swear to you, it's the windiest, it's like the new Chicago, windy city. There's no trees, it's just prairie, blow, blow, blow. And it's funny because you can't see, I've thought about this, you can't see wind coming. You know, you can't see it. You can see what it does. You can see like dust getting, you know, spurred up. You can see the trees moving. You know, you see branches falling. You know, you see your deck furniture moving, but you can't see the wind, but you see the results of the wind. And so Jesus is saying, so with new life, we see the results of new life. And pay attention to that. You know, the concept, I had, I had alluded to this, that Jesus brought up the concept of new births when he was saying, you are Israel's teacher and you don't know this. And a, a wonderful example of the concept of new birth and new life in the Old Testament comes from Ezekiel. And if you know your Bibles, if you don't, I'm going I'm to tell it to you because that's what we get to do in church here. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, there's, there's this beautiful story and it's this prophecy that happens. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet um, it says in Ezekiel chapter 37, I'm going to read this to you, but you can look in your Bibles or if you have a Bible app, turn, turn to that. But this is an example that one of the commentators referenced to that the, the people of Israel knew as an example of new life. And it's the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones. And you might be hearing in your head the thigh bones connected to the leg bone or the hip bones connected. Aaron, you might have to like check me on my, my um, building of legs and parts and everything, but... So we get that song from children's, you know, our childhoods to that one. So in Ezekiel 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. This to me always felt like a bad dream. He says, saw, he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said, prophesy to these bones, meaning speak my words, speak my life, my truth to them, to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I did what God said. I was prophesying to these bones, telling them what the Lord commanded me, and all of a sudden there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So Ezekiel says, so I prophesied and as he commanded me, and breath entered them. Can you just imagine that sound? I don't know, I can just like hear it in my head. I tried to do my best making it. So he says, I prophesied, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, 
Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says, the sovereign Lord says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And this, this is where I want you to catch. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is one of the references of that new life, that, that new life that the people were hoping for, but it was really new breath, new life within a new spirit that God was going to put in his people. And this is what Jesus came to do. You could go to the next one, Dylan. So in the Covenant Church, a really important understanding of how we come into right relationship with God comes from um, a theologian and, and pastor from the 1800s named P.P. Waldenstrom. One of my seminary colleagues thought he was going to be funny. I think sometimes us pastors have weird senses of humor. He had on a shirt of his name is Paul Peter, Paul Peter Waldenstrom. It almost sounds like Paul Peter and Mary, but Paul Peter Waldenstrom. And he, he kind of, the guy kind of looks like Beethoven away. He's got crazy hair and, you know, and he got a shirt on that, that he wore to class one day and it said, P.P. Waldenstrom is my homeboy on the back. Um, and I was like, I, I don't think you're going to get extra points for this one, but good for you. Um, but Paul Peter, Paul Peter Waldenstrom, um, his doctrine on atonement is a big deal. And it's pretty simple, and it was because the, the idea at that time was that somehow that God had to change for us to change. And so I'm just going to read you a, a little bit about this. Um, it was in, in, in um, let me read, six, okay, so I'm reading from another this is a translated document that was translated from Swedish, but he had, I had spoken to you about the revivals that were happening in Sweden, which led to the birth of the Evangelical Covenant Church, the um, Baptist General Conference Church, and um, the Evangelical Free Church, all out of the Lutheran Church of Sweden. There were these revivals that had happened, and people were turning to their Bibles, they were turning to prayer, and they were discussing salvation. Dr. P.P. Waldenstrom, an ordained clergyman of the Swedish State Church, and he was a professor at a Christian college at Gavale, had come to the conclusion that Christ did not die to change the attitude of God the Father toward sinners. So it wasn't that Jesus had to die to change God, which was the orthodox view of, of the time at the church, but it was to change the hearts of sinners. Catch that. Jesus came to die to change our hearts. In 1872, he declared his conviction in a sermon. He got in a lot of trouble. Um, from the ranks of the clergy, there arose a hue of, of, of heresy. He was attacked. The sermon was attacked. It was in the papers. And Waldenstrom was a happy warrior, an able debater, who knew how to defend his position. And this is where we get our famous phrase that we say in the Covenant Church. He answered all the criticism by one question. He kind of became like Jesus. Jesus always asked questions. He didn't defend. But he said, where is that written? In that way, he removed the discussion from the realm of theology and compelled his debaters to go to their Bibles for their statements, and they couldn't find it anywhere. And his debate and everything went on to, to express more so that it was our hearts that needed to change. It was us that needed to, to let Jesus change our hearts, and God didn't need to change at all. It was us. 
And so that was where we go into that important understanding of the necessity of new birth. You can go to the next slide, Dylan. And this is the scripture passages that he preached on, and it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And that's actually what I want to present to you, is do you believe, and are you convinced that there's one person who died for all of our sin? And that goes back to the Jewish sacrificial system. They used to have like once a year, the Day of Atonement, and we just had this in... um, in September, um, we had Rosh Hashanah and then, and then Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And all these animals had to die once a year to cover the sins of the people. It had to keep going over and over and over and because our sins couldn't be forgiven by animals, but it was, it was a temporary fix. But now, because of Jesus Christ, we're convinced that there was only one who needed to die and therefore all died. We all died with Christ in that sin. But Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the new life. It means that I don't live my life anymore for me. I'm living for Jesus. And so Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view anymore. So that is like in the church. It means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't regard anybody anymore of saying, oh, you're outside of Christ. No, we are part of Christ together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, and this is where P.P. Waldenstrom got his theology from, who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That means, like, this is why I'm here in front of you. That is why I'm convinced to say, Jesus died for you, he loves you. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Follow him. He's com- he has therefore made us Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Remember, God doesn't have to be reconciled to us. We have to be made right to him because we're sinful. And it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of saying, Jesus loves you, died for you, and when you come to new life in him, you have a whole new life, and it's so beautiful. Next slide, Dylan. So in the Evangelical Covenant Church, we go back to our our high view of, of where we are as a denomination. First of all, new birth is when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. We receive forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life. I will tell you, at the age of eight, I was at Grindstone Lake Bible Camp, and I remember hearing the pastor talking. I, remember, I was in second grade, but I had this moment where I was convicted of my own sin. It's really interesting because about that time, I had willfully lied. I remember it so well because I was so squirmy. I willfully lied and deceived my mom. I got a note home from school, and I was supposed to give it to her, and I didn't. I like put it in my backpack. And I had a moment of awareness that I had done something wrong. It was so real. And and it was that sick, icky feeling that I had. And that is sin. And I just remember going to camp and realizing I could ask Jesus to forgive me for my sin, that yucky, yucky, yucky feeling that I had that I I can define sin as yucky. That's all I'm going to say. But that I had forgiveness and it was like all the load off me had, had come up and acceptance, and I knew from that day on that Jesus loved me, 
I loved him and there was no turning back. It was such a glorious feeling of being set free. It means that having new life in Christ and the new life that we have in Christ has love, joy, righteousness, and peace. And I will tell you, friends, especially in the, in the other work I do as a therapist, that there are so many people in this world looking right now for love, joy, goodness, and peace. And I will tell you, it is found in Jesus. Next slide, Dylan. Um, as, an evangelical covenant, as an evangelical church, meaning we believe the evangelical means sharing the good news. It's, just, it's a Greek word, evangelizo, good news. So as a good news church, we believe that conversion results in eternal life. Conversion can be defined as the act in which a person turns with repentance saying, God, I'm a mess and I mess up all the time and I'm going to have faith to believe that you can take my sin and give me life means that we come from sin to God. Conversion involves a conscious rejection of the life of sin and involves a commitment of faith. You know, in our culture right now, we don't like to say sin. We like to say, oh, you made a mistake or that's your choice or whatever, but it means that there's things that offend God that keep us from him and keep us from relationship with each other. And it means that we, we say, nope, I don't want that life anymore. It doesn't mean it's still gonna happen. We're still gonna screw up and make mistakes because we're human. But it means I'm gonna keep turning to you, God, to help me live by faith and trust you. Eternal life is not given through assent to creeds alone, but through a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. It means I say, Jesus, I need you, and the only way I'm gonna live is through you. Next slide, Dylan. And such a high doctrine of conversion does not, really, does not mean that all believers have dramatic conversion experiences. And this is an important thing to remember too. While no one remembers the moment of physical birth, one's present life is evidenced by its occurrence. That's why I said to the children, are all of you born? Yes. Are we all born here? Yes. So it means that sometimes there's gonna be people where they have been following Christ their whole life and they may not have a time that they were, they're like, yep, I had this dramatic moment of conversion. So a person may be truly converted even though he or she may have no memory of the moment of new birth. I have, a, I have a friend, actually one of our covenant leaders, and he's like, I don't have a definitive moment, but he goes, I've been following and loving Jesus Christ my whole life and he's my Lord and Savior. His is a different story. So the, the important thing is the vitality of life is the proof of birth, not its memory or recollection. Some of us have had lives where we have lived completely apart from Christ, and then we have this moment where we find out about Jesus. Or um, I remember, I think I was with Trang at um, this banquet for Sister Rose. It's this orphanage that, um, a nun in this orphanage that Trang is supported in Vietnam. And I feel like she told the story there of, of somebody who had come to Christ because this child just felt drawn to go to the church and they were looking in the windows every week and they were just drawn. You might have to fact check me on this one. or It might have been a different place, but I remember hearing that this child was just drawn to Christ by the building and kept looking in, wanting to come in, and finally came in, and, and they wanted to receive communion. They were just drawn to it. They didn't know what it was. And through that, that person came to know that about Jesus' body being given and his blood being shed, and that was how that person came to know Jesus Christ. We have all kinds of stories, but it's our story with God. Everyone's story with him is going to be different, and that's the beautiful thing about it. So as I present that to you this morning, next slide, Dylan. Take a moment to examine yourself. If you are a follower of Christ here today, we talked about this in our membership class next in a week or two, we're going to be talking about our, our um, conversion stories and how we came to know Jesus. But when did your life in Jesus begin? 
As you remember that, reflect and praise. Think about that. When did that love story between you and God begin? When was that moment that you knew that he loved you, that you loved him, and you wanted to belong to him? Or that moment that you, like me, where you had the relief of forgiveness. It was like, oh, I don't have to carry this anymore. Next slide. And today, if you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is today the day for you to begin that new life in Christ? And God makes it so easy, friends. First of all, you, res- you respond by just acknowledging, Jesus, I need you. I've been living my life on my own apart from you. Second is you just confess your sin. It says in, in 1 John, he is faithful and just. means God's justice is ultimate, where he can forgive our sins no matter how bad, how, how messed up we think it is. And he's the one who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus doesn't do an outward cleansing like, you know, water, la, la, la. He does it from the inside. Receive Jesus' forgiveness for you. He is for you. He loves you. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. It's so simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that you are justified and saved. And then the last part is a celebration. Celebrate with a donut today. Tell somebody. But celebrate and share this good news with someone today. You are loved, and Jesus' love for you will never end. And that is the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we come to you um, needing you so much. Jesus, each one, of, each one of us has sinned against you. Each one of us has messed up, Lord. Each one of us has hurt another person, has fallen short of, of, of your ultimate um, expectations for, for us, Lord. We've all fallen short, and God, we need you so much. So, Lord, if there's someone here who has never said yes to you, Jesus, if there's somebody here who has realized I haven't, I haven't committed my life to you, I haven't asked forgiveness and realized that I need forgiveness, Lord. Help them just to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, please accept me as I am. And please start your new life in me today. Lord, and for, for those here that have been on this journey with you, God, help them just to rejoice and, and have gratitude that they are your child and that you have been walking with them and they with you. God, help them to share their story with someone this week and to just rejoice in and what it means to share the good news, that, that you love people, God, and you, all we have to do is say yes to you and believe in you. So Lord, thank you for how easy you make it for us to come to know you and be your children. And I pray for my friends here this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.